Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue our series, The Time of Your Life, with a message titled, The Christian Pilgrim. So let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I'm reading Hebrews 11, 13 to 16, and it says, These all died in faith, not having received all the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, we've been talking about how to use time wisely, making the best use of the time, for the days are evil. We notice that if you're going to use time well, you need to see yourself on a journey, or as Ephesians puts it, a walk. You need to see yourself progressing to your goal. And interestingly enough, not only does Ephesians speak that way, so does the book of Hebrews. Many people have entitled Hebrews 11 as the Heroes Hall of Faith. Here's a list of people who have lived lives that have a great deal to teach us. There are people who are worthy heroes or fit for emulation. Everyone needs heroes. I'm especially saddened in our day of sexual and moral scandals. It's ever present in our culture, and with that comes a sense of mistrust of everyone. We've almost no one left to believe in. We've become a nation of cynics. How many people now delight in tearing others down to prove that all role models are to be repudiated and shown that they are no heroes at all? Everyone is to be abased. But Hebrews is the antidote for that kind of thinking. And so at the beginning of Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews speaks of Abel, of Enoch, of Noah, and of Abraham and Sarah. And what he concludes about those outstanding five people And the way they lived their lives is that they thought of themselves as pilgrims and strangers on the earth. What I want to do today is connect the idea of seeing life as a pilgrimage to the idea of making the best use of time. I say that because for many, the idea of time passing by is seen as a threat. Perhaps you're one of those people. You may have found this treatment of time that I've been discussing this week very difficult teaching you realize that time is a precious commodity, and you also realize that precious time simply slips away. With each passing day, the time that's available to you simply leaves. Perhaps you think about that, and you're filled with a sense of dread of the inevitability of death. Death is like that eagle in the sky that's hunting its prey. Now, that may not be the thought that most of us wish to dwell on, And yet the Bible speaks of the importance of being fully aware that our days on earth are growing ever shorter. Moses said, and I'm reading from Psalm 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So recognizing that precious time is slipping away, well, that need not lead us to fear, but it might lead us to wisdom. Okay, that's fine and well, but here is where I wish to make my point. Numbering our days or using our time well should be connected with the idea of a pilgrimage, which is what Hebrews is teaching. I'm completely aware that we rarely use the word pilgrim today. You know, that sounds like what someone called someone else in one of those old Western black and white movies. 
And those of you who can appreciate that know of John Wayne. And he would often say, well, pilgrim. You see, but a pilgrim, that's a traveler, someone who's on a journey from one location to another. In our day of air travel, we really don't have pilgrims, but in the olden days, when the world was large and when many places had yet been undiscovered, a pilgrim would be on a journey to some faraway place, a place that might take him years to get to. On his journey, he might never expect to come back. On the way, he would encounter strange cultures and unexpected adventures and life-threatening dangers and the possibility of running out of resources. It was a wild adventure that only the most brave and daring of people would undertake. I like the image of a pilgrim because if you really think about it, that's what all of us are, pilgrims. None of us are remaining on earth forever. So think about your life and the time given you as a journey to some faraway place. Of course, we already know that place. It's called heaven, the eternal dwelling place of God. And that's where we're going. Now, for some, you can hardly imagine that because you think you're not going anywhere. You have a job or kids or schooling or some other thing, and you think that your present life is a series of plans that you make and intend to keep. You have a schedule which makes the days of your life seem remarkably predictable, hardly like some grand journey to a beautiful country you've not yet seen. But that kind of thinking is wrong-headed. Whenever we think about our lives as a series of stable plans in which nothing too exciting ever happens, the great danger is that we will see ourselves not as pilgrims, but as settlers. Let's explain the difference. A settler belongs in the country they live in. A pilgrim is only passing through. A settler puts down roots and feels comfortable and is vulnerable to anything that might threaten that kind of an existence. Whenever we think we're settlers, time becomes the great enemy for with every passing year, our settlement here on earth with its comforts and rewards, well, that becomes increasingly threatened. Precious time lived in your settlement is ticking away. Soon all that you've loved and become comfortable with will be no more. Best not to think about it. Just enjoy your settlement as long as it lasts. My joy today is to get you to reorient your thinking. I want you to imagine your life and yourself as being on pilgrimage. Hebrews 11, 16 says of the heroes of faith, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. According to Hebrews, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, they were not content with the country they lived in. I mean, that's the first step in getting a pilgrim mindset. You're not content with your country. Now, a lot of people are are not content with their circumstances. I mean, there's nothing unusual about that. But instead of simply grouching about it, having a gab fest about all the things that are wrong with this world and what you do if you were anointed king of the earth, I mean, these great heroes of faith in God went on a pilgrimage and were on their way to a better country. Now, that's not an unfamiliar image. Canada and the U.S. are two countries made up of immigrants. My own parents were refugees arriving on Canada's shore after having experienced persecution and death. My grandfather was tortured to death in the former Soviet Union. My parents went on a daring adventure in which they walked the breadth of Europe in a time of war. Some of you listening to me did that when you left your homeland. Well, that's the image. We're on a journey to a new land called heaven. Heaven is real and it's physical. 
In heaven, we're going to have real physical resurrection bodies. There'll be sights and sounds and smells. Heaven has cities. It has a system of government. It has established patterns of relationships between human beings so that it has laws. And there is no breaking of the law in heaven. There's satisfaction there of a kind that this present land has never known. Heaven is all we pilgrims have ever longed for and more. We're going to see God. Of course, our greatest desire is to fall on our faces before our great king, him who lives forever and ever. See, that desire will be realized. Our lives are on pilgrimage to that far-off country. And we've read the travel brochure, and we've loved what we've read. So, therefore, first, we should not be attached to this world. Here we have no abiding city. The passing of time tells us that this world and all its passions are slipping away. It was the old Negro spiritual that said, This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy this world or enjoy the plans for the future that we might yet have in this world or invest in things that are very important in this world. See, but it does mean that we judge the reality of this world from a proper perspective. We're on pilgrimage. We might be traveling through a beautiful country or we might be traveling through a barren country. But the pilgrim knows he's traveling through. He's not staying. He's not a settler. His joy is not in the country he occupies, but rather his joy is in the one he's traveling toward. I encourage you to think that way about all things that you both have and hope to have or experience in this world. And should it be that there's a joy that you've anticipated in this world, but it has been kept from you, don't take it as a tragedy. You're a pilgrim. You may have wanted to see something in the land of your pilgrimage, but then again, you know that you were just passing through. Don't take your disappointment so seriously. You weren't going to root down in this country anyway. This is the world of the dying, the world of sin and death. This is the place where Satan rages, where great spiritual battles are underfoot. See, I love what C.S. Lewis said in that regard. He said, do not seek earthly pleasures, for there are only heavenly pleasures. Earth, he said, has no lasting pleasure to give. Make that your mindset. This month, we're encouraging you to request Dr. John's series, The Time of Your Life, as our free gift to you. As you listen and examine what the Bible has to say about how we use the time we're given, you'll be equipped and encouraged to make your days matter for eternity. Studying the Bible makes a difference. One listener wrote, My prayer for Back to the Bible Canada, God willing and God permitting, is to concentrate all efforts to affirm believers and to speak to the young generation. The times we are living in demand it. As always, we're so grateful for your gifts that enable trustworthy Bible teaching to be shared day after day in your community across Canada and around the world. You sustain this ministry. To request the time of your life or make a gift to support Bible teaching, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. we have no permanent dwelling. We weren't intended to stay. We were on pilgrimage. Think of the words of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 7.29 says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. 
Of course, Paul means that the day of the Lord is at hand. Soon Christ will return. Soon the old order of things will be rolled up like a scroll and the world and all its elements will dissolve. Soon we're going to reach our destination. How long will it be? Not long, I think. And because of that, we're not attached to this world. This is the first step in the pilgrim's highway. This world is not our home. The Negro slaves had it exactly right. But let's talk about the actual journey, or as Paul called it, our walk. That's why I said, first, we shouldn't be attached to this world. Second, we should seek heaven by traveling the roadway that leads to our destination. It's so significant to say this, all roads do not lead to heaven. Jesus said there's a broad road that leads to destruction, but only the narrow road leads to heaven. The pathway to heaven is the pathway of faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. We trust in Christ and in his cross and in the promises he has made. We make decisions based on what God has promised. All of our life, including our use of time, is based on trust and on faith. Listen to how Abel traveled the roadway. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel was concerned that in his offering, he offered God the best, unlike Cain, who offered to God his cast-offs, what was left over. For Noah, the pathway to faith came in building an ark. Hebrews 11:7 By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness by faith see what he does first he believes God that the world around him is destined to destruction then he builds an ark and this ark both saves him and condemns the world He won't travel the pathway of attachment to the world. He wants heaven. And so every day as he's building, he proclaims he's a pilgrim. He believes the world is transitory. For Abraham and Sarah, the pathway to heaven meant leaving their home and traveling to a land they would later receive. And so what does it mean for us to travel the highway that leads to heaven? Well, part of the answer is found in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I wonder if you've ever been driving your car on an unfamiliar road, and then you say, I wonder if I'm on the right road. And so you look for road signs that are going to tell you. According to Hebrews 12, verse 1, there are three road signs on the highway that leads to heaven, and we should be looking for them. If you don't see those signs, you're on the wrong road. So first, the highway to heaven demands we travel light. We must lay aside every weight. It has to do with the earth's attachments. You have to lose your love for the things that are passing away. So let's get practical. How much money do you spend for things that pass away? How much money do you spend for things that are eternal? Well, example, cars, investments, technology, all manner of things that we do need. I'm not arguing it's wrong to do that. But there is a question in all the money that we spend on entertainment. Would you be prepared to put a priority in your spending into the ministry of your church and the ministry of gospel proclamation? See, I think some of us spend all the money on this world and next to nothing on the next, and we're traveling heavy. We say, you know, all that ministries want is my money. 
Have you ever walked into a store, sells clothes and computers or food, or looked at houses and land and said, ha, you know, all these people ever care about is my money. I mean, look at it. Every dress in the whole store has a price tag attached to it. It's shameless what they're asking. Well, if you never say that about retail, why do you take such exception at losing your money and possessions for the kingdom? If you feel that it's a great sacrifice to invest in the world to come, take it as a warning sign. You're on the wrong road. You're traveling heavy. All your investments are in this world. You're acting like a settler and not like a pilgrim on a roadway to the celestial city. You must be on the wrong road. See, the second road sign is putting aside the sin that clings. The highway to heaven is the highway of holiness. So let me ask you, what sins are clinging to you? The ones that you particularly love. Maybe it's, you know, lust or power. And by the way, have you noticed that lust is the great trap for young men and that power is the great trap for old men? I mean, power. I mean, it's an aphrodisiac to old men. For them, it's way better than sex. Or maybe it's riches or dreams of fame. Or maybe it's self-indulgence. You fill it in. What should you do if you're on the wrong road? Tell Jesus, I love this sin, but I want you to take it from me. Make me hate it and make me abandon it. I want to learn from you to hate every form of idolatry and to find in Jesus and in him alone a treasure chest of holy joy. See, that's the second road sign. That's how you can tell what road you're on. So two road signs that you're on the wrong road, you're traveling heavy, and you're unwilling to put aside the sin that clings. Here's the third road sign that you're running with endurance. You know, when I was in high school, I was a long distance runner. You know, I was horrible at 100 meters. I always came in dead last. But if you put me on a 10K run, I just might beat you. And here's what I learned about running long races. It requires endurance. It requires you ignore all the burning lungs and burning muscles and you simply will yourself forward. It means fighting through those times in the middle of the race when you wonder why in the world you're doing all of this. It means going for the goal. It means a long obedience in the same direction. You can't be a pilgrim unless you determine never to quit your journey until you get there. So let's seek heaven by traveling its roadway. And so our whole life should be spent traveling the roadway that leads to the celestial city. I want you to think of the highway to heaven as the project of a lifetime. It's not an add-on when you've got the time. You know, some people read their Bibles in a spotty fashion or they show up at church and they're irregular. They get involved in ministry if it suits and they pray occasionally. They go back to the journey in fits and starts. But really, they're only occasional tourists to spiritual things. They're not pilgrims. So all concerns of life have to be subordinate to the roadway upon which we're traveling. I would think of it like a pilgrim would. Pilgrims carry money, of course, but they do it to supply themselves for the journey. Pilgrims care deeply about what happens to them today because today, if lived properly, is going to propel them toward the end point. But once they allow something to be a greater goal, then they stop traveling. They stop being a pilgrim. I love what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, thus we should eat and drink and clothe ourselves and improve the conversation and enjoyment of friends. And whatever business we are setting about, whatever designs we are engaging in, we should inquire with ourselves whether this business or undertaking will forward us in our way to heaven. And if not, we should quit our design. 
<laughs> Someone might say it sounds extreme. I don't prefer to think of myself as a pilgrim, rather as a resident, someone who's building strong roots in the present moment. I'll let God take care of the future. See, that's a mistake. Let me suggest an illustration that's going to help. We have, close to where I live, a very nice pond, and frequently there are geese and ducks that are found there. In the springtime, it's fun to watch all their young, swimming after mom in a very straight line. But I've noticed something about the geese in our area. Other geese have formed a V formation. They're flying south. It's a time for their annual migration. It's a beautiful thing to watch. But the winters where I live, you know, they're fairly warm, and some would say warmer than before. I see a number of migratory birds that have settled and they've made their homes. They no longer make the effort to fly south. They simply stay. And then on those occasions when we do get snow, I watch them. They're miserably huddled in some place. I have to imagine one of those migratory birds in the fall. Why is it that when the other birds cry out in the sky, that these birds that I see are not filled with a desire to rise into the sky and to go on a long journey? I think because they've settled into a new reality and the old stirrings are gone. I think that's an illustration of what happens when we abandon the pilgrim mindset. We fool ourselves if we think we can take it up again in the future. Time passes and the present country settles in. And the call to long and yearn for Christ is gone. Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That would be a tragedy. Thanks so much, John. John, could you give me maybe a better sense of what it means to be a pilgrim, even though many of us just stay put for the majority of our lives? Well, I suppose many of us do. And I think it has to do with the kind of things that you do. If you're in agriculture, you're a farmer, I mean, you're most likely going to stay put for a lifetime. But you know there are so many different careers that change on a regular basis in which people are changing all of the time. So, you know, my response to this is, nonetheless, every year that passes by, you're not going to visit that place again. You've, you've moved on. And so things are always changing for us. And yet at the same time, the believer recognizes that our hope is never in the things of this earth. So don't weep over the things that you lose. Be hopeful. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Time of Your Life, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. The days we have are precious, and how we use our days matter. Dr. John helps us to consider how we spend our time in ways that matter for eternity in his series, The Time of Your Life. Why is time so important? Well, it's a scarce commodity. It's uncertain how many days we have. Time can never be recovered, and our use of time can introduce either light or darkness. Paul's exhortation to the church in Ephesus is so true for us today. We should be a church longing to live as those who are wise, making the very best use of our time. This is a high calling, but a worthy calling. This month, request Dr. Newfeld's series, The Time of Your Life, on CD as our free gift to you. And to support Bible teaching with a financial gift, 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.